0: Hi there, welcome to another week of the High Performance Podcast. Thanks very much for joining us. You know what, in the past couple of weeks, we have passed 2 million downloads of this podcast. And what's really interesting is it took us the best part of 7 months to hit our first million. And a couple of months later, we hit 2 million downloads. The... The pace at which this podcast is starting to impact people is incredible. The feedback means so much to us. This week, we had a message from Stephen Logan saying that Nims was incredible on my evening run. Phil Connolly got in touch to say the basics done great all the time is the big takeaway for me from the Nims Perger episode. And I'll speak to Damien at the end of today's episode about what he made of Nims and some of the other comments that have come into us here on the podcast. But in the past week, we've had messages from AFL teams in Australia. The England cricket dressing room are listening to the podcast. Four Premier League clubs I've had players get in touch this week to say they're sharing the pod with their players. But as well as that, hundreds and hundreds of messages on social media, direct to Damien and direct to myself, telling us how this podcast has helped to change your lives. So that's why we do it. We've said so many times this is about the outcome, not the income. So please keep the feedback coming. It is the energy source that we use to keep this podcast going. The other thing that's vital for us is to rate and review. So wherever you're listening to this podcast, please just take a couple of moments to rate it and review. It, it makes all the difference to us and this week's guest is fascinating. Here's what's coming up.
1: Throughout my career it's always like work as hard as you possibly can at everything that you do and I'm still like that at the age of 31. I think you try and drain out as much information as you can from the people around you and I think for someone that loves football but potentially doesn't feel as though well they're talented, I've seen so many girls, um, some of my teammates that potentially at 15, 16 haven't had the talent, but with their hard work and dedication attitude have made it to the top and played for England and represented the country at World Cups.
0: I can't wait for you to hear from someone who really has broken down doors for others to walk through. That's what today's podcast is about. Enjoy. Hi there, I'm Jake Humphrey. You're listening to High Performance, the podcast that delves into the minds of some of the most successful athletes, visionaries, entrepreneurs and artists on the planet, and aims to unlock the very secrets to their success. As ever, I'm not alone. Our resident psychologist, professor, author of the Barcelona Way and liquid thinker, Damien Hughes is with us today. And Damien, today's guest operates daily inside one of if not the football team setting the global standards at the moment this will be interesting won't it
2: yeah i'm particularly looking forward to um some of the like the early days of, of our guest story, I think that's what I'm particularly intrigued to understand a bit more about.
0: How you go from a world where the job you want to do doesn't even exist, and a few yes. years later you're doing it. Okay, well I'll tell you what then, let's meet the guest for the episode. England captain, with over 100 caps for her country, the Manchester City captain, as the game continues to come to terms with its professional status, she is absolutely someone helping to inspire the next generation of young female players. Steph Horton, hello.
1: Hello. Thanks
0: for being with us let's get straight into it then what is your definition of high performance
1: I think performing at a level consistently every single day for me I think being a part of a team the only thing that you can control is how you perform um, and I think you can't just turn that performance on and off I think it's all about what you do during the week and then what you do during the month then the year I think That's what I've learned over the last few years is that it's not just about performing on one day. You have to consistently do that throughout the the season and throughout the year.
2: So you say you've learned that over the last few years, Steph. What was it that was the catalyst to learn that lesson about the consistency and all the small things adding up?
1: I think especially in women's football, especially over the last four or five years, I think firstly turning to a professional footballer, you couldn't really cut corners because the next day you had to train and you had to perform and being at a club like Manchester City and the increased competition within the England set up I think it was kind of like my mindset was right okay well I can't let anybody else take over me and the only thing that I can do is keep pushing myself and challenging myself to be even better than I was the day before and um, I think maybe potentially in my early years in my career I think Maybe you could have got away with that because I knew that I was talented. I knew I could work hard, but ultimately I was doing a lot more still than other people, whereas people were now training at the same level and intensity
0: that I was. I was at Manchester City just a few days ago watching you training. And I said this to you afterwards, you and Ellen White, who are the two most experienced players in the team, in my opinion, were the two most dedicated and committed trainers in the team. But what really sort of stays with me is that after training, The rest of the players went in. You and Ellen stayed behind, practised finishing, practised free kicks. And then you and Ellen are putting the balls away and clearing away the poles and clearing away the mannequins. Damien talks about this. He talks about cultural architects, people that set the agenda within an environment. Do you feel that you're a cultural architect at Manchester City? Do you feel it is partly your responsibility to set the tone for all the other people around you?
1: Um, Yeah, I think especially being a captain and a leader and one of the experienced players, I know how much older players, when I was younger, they set the tone for me and the standard that I wanted to be. And I'll never, ever forget what they did for me as a young player and trying to make me a better player and a better person and I think when you're at a club at Manchester City and England captain I think you have to set the way in terms of your standards on and off the pitch and I think first and foremost what you do on the pitch is the most important and I know the likes of me and Ellen and Jill Scott they we continuously push and push and get the most of out of training that we can continuously we're always staying after even if it's just 10-15 minutes and it's about having good quality of what we do and picking up the balls and the cones i mean the youngsters take them out but at the same time we all have to chip in and i've been there and i've done that and it's about staying humble and ultimately you're a team and everybody's equal
2: so given that this podcast is around our listeners on understanding how to achieve high performance if you would had somebody in your squad that wasn't quite at that level of high performance how would you help them beyond setting an example how would you help them make that transition
1: Um, I think obviously if I look at myself as a leader I am one of them people that does set the example in terms of my professionalism on the pitch and off the pitch I like to do all my recovery stuff and do the best that I can for the team and for myself and I think it's always about having them conversations and that communication. I think um, as a youngster they like to know that they're doing well but at the same time I think you've got to balance it out with okay you can maybe do better or why are you eating that for? Are you going to go and do your ice bath? I think it's kind of like maybe them not recognising what they're doing and I think it takes you until you're a little bit older to kind of have that self-awareness of the things that you can do to help performance and improve yourself as a player and a person but also Also, for us as older players is to go, well, actually, we've been there and done that. We've had that experience of maybe missing out on these little things and they certainly do add up.
0: I'm interested to explore that, actually, when you talk about things that you haven't had. How important is it for you now in the elite environment that you operate in at Manchester City? to have gone through that journey of really getting involved in a sport that wasn't even professional when you first started?
1: It's crazy when I think about, I think um, obviously when I first started playing football there was no girls teams and my first ever team was my school team which was me and my best mate and my cousin um, Amy, we were part of this team that was full of boys and we just wanted to play football and first getting scouted for Sunland where we were only training once a week, we weren't even playing games and then I've, it's seen so many developments over the amount of years that I've been playing football. I would have rather have had it that way than maybe the girls that have had it now because really? I think you really really appreciate what where you 've come from and I think my mentality and my mindsets definitely come from potentially you don 't actually know what 's going to happen in the future, so i'm going to make the most of now and um i'll try and fight for everything that i that I want and to just to keep playing football because I love the sport so much and it was a bonus that I could be a professional football I always knew I'd be involved in football but whether that was a hobby or doing something maybe coaching for example a boys team what I might be um, it's been quite nice to see the transition from probably paying to player and paying £250 a year to, and then wearing hand-me-downs from the lads team. It's um, certainly come a long way from then.
2: When you were starting to play with boys teams, yeah. I imagine you must have met some resistance and at every level along the way you'll have met people that maybe are cynical or opposed to what you wanted to do. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give about overcoming that cynicism and those objections?
1: Yeah, you're right. I think, obviously, a girl playing football probably when I was younger wasn't really heard of. And I think when you're a little bit good as well, I think people have a tendency to be a little bit jealous and you may maybe starting ahead of their son. And I think... I was good enough to have the family that I have around us because it could have been easy for them to just go right okay well you're not playing we don't want you to feel the way that you do but actually it was like well go and prove them wrong then like and actually go How did go you feel
0: when you were walking out onto a football field as a young person alongside your school friends every single other player is a boy apart from you like that takes real bravery I think at a young age to do that
1: Yeah you feel quite intimidated I think because you know that people are watching and thinking why, why is she playing and God, how come she's playing instead of a boy or whatever it might be and I think it was just kind of like I just think I just loved it so much I was just like well actually going to prove that I'm probably going to be better than him anyway and I think it gave us that motivation to be even better than I probably was back then and yeah probably brave is the right word I think especially at that time I think it was probably an unknown and for me to go and play and um, I was fortunate enough though that the lads on my team actually really accepted us and because
0: you were
2: good probably
1: yeah I mean five sides. it was always nice if they picked you on your team as well so I think that gives you a little bit of confidence and belief to just keep playing
2: one of the things that I was wondering was you brought a level of talent to to that that made them respect you eventually what if there was a listener here that doesn't have perhaps the same level of ability that you had to go and prove them wrong but still loves playing and wants to involve themselves what advice would you pass on for them
1: I think for me I think throughout my career it's always like work as hard as you possibly can at everything that you do and I'm still like that at the age of 31 I think you try and drain out as much information as you can from the people around you and I think for someone that loves football but potentially doesn't feel as though they're talented, I've seen so many girls, um, some of my teammates that potentially at 15, 16 haven't had the talent, but with their hard work and dedication attitude have made it to the top and played for England and represented the country at World Cup. So anything is possible. And I think it's just about really focusing on what you can control. Um, I think that's a big thing for me is sometimes you worry a little bit about too much about what other people think and what other teammates think of you as a player and as a person. But at the same time, I think if you apply yourself correctly each day um, in your training, whether you're speaking to someone, asking questions, I think you can go a long way.
0: Talking about only worrying about things that you can control, how much work have you had to do on that? Because when you're really, really committed, right, you can actually be too committed can't you it could eat you up inside you can be a distraction for the rest of the players you can frustrate your manager Mm -hmm. talk to us about how much work you've had to do to try and get that balance right yourself because I can imagine you being quite intense
1: yeah I'm intense I think um, I think I've done a lot of work since I've been named captain I think obviously I was 26 when I was first named England captain and There was players probably with more experience who had got a lot more caps than me and probably were in a better position to be named as captain and within the group and probably outside world I think it was kind of a strange choice but at the same time in myself I was absolutely buzzing and but I think for that first six months of my captaincy I wasn't who I wanted to be I wanted to be everybody else's mate I wanted to try and please everyone and it took away from my football and speaking to the psychologist in England we did a lot of work together every single trip that we were away away from camp about controlling what I can control and staying in my bubble Um whether that was in the football sense or media fans social media which is a, a big part of football now and I did think too much in that first six months about how I was and who I was trying to be. Um, And I kind of just strip it all back and go, right. Okay. Well, what am I like as a footballer, what do I bring to the team and what do I bring as a leader and just to really focus on them things and bring them as my strengths.
2: And how often do you still focus on those areas then? So how how often do you still work to develop as a leader?
1: Yeah, massively. I think obviously with change of manager and change of players, it's important to not just kind of stand still and try and adapt different ways. I'm not really the most confrontational person, but at times probably over the last season and in big moments, you have to be that person to kind of make a decision on behalf of the team and what the team needs and be strong enough to kind of believe that that's the right thing to do and you probably have to test yourself and I'm challenging myself every day to be an even better leader and I I understand that some people may not see me as their perfect captain but at the same time I know that over the last five, six years, especially for Man City in England, my only focus has ever been the team.
0: So when you first became captain and you talk about trying to be best friends with everyone rather than the leader if you came across players or teammates that just weren't operating at the level you wanted them to would you confront them about it or in the early days would you find that too difficult
1: I was probably a little bit standoffish I think I was like I I could see what was happening but it was like I didn't really have the tools to be able to go and speak to them so I think you probably would lean on older players to go and do that and maybe try and get other people to help and I'm not stupid enough to know it's not about me and what I do you have to have people around you that you really trust and you have to use your teammates in different situations and you have to use their strengths as much as you possibly can so you're kind of delegating a little bit more which I've learnt a lot that it obviously helps you can't obviously have everything on your shoulders to continuously Who taught you that? I think the psychologist a bit I think he was he was big on that and I think he was massive for me in my early couple of years as captain and um, I'll be forever grateful for that, but I think obviously older players as well, the likes of Laura Bassett, Jill Scott, my best mate Ellen, She obviously room with her in England as well, so she gets a lot of me coming in going, oh, I'm sick of this, or I don't know what to do about this, and they're the type of people that you need to to really help, and um, I will be forever grateful for everything that they've
2: done. You mentioned about when you first came in as a, as a young player, you had older players that set the example for you. Mm. What kind of lessons... Would you say were the most effective, the ones that have lasted the longest, the lessons that you were taught?
1: For me, I think just the hard work side of it, that's I think coming from the northeast, I think we're all so used to just actually just getting on with things and just going, right, okay, there's no point in mourning. We need we just just need to get it. Whether it's a run and test, whether it might be just like, right, okay, well, it's over in four minutes, just like let's just do your best kind of thing. But I think like the listening side of thing, I think people coming around and giving your arm around the shoulder and listening to what they say, I think it's priceless, especially those players that have been there and done it. I always remember Kelly Smith on my first ever day in England camp. I was 16, I was going in, I'd just been called up off standby, so nervous. And she was the first person to come over and just go, if you need anything, I'm here, just come and ask questions, just go and enjoy it. And I think football is obviously a short career, so enjoying that moment as well. I think you've got to... Just give it everything, every, every single day, really.
0: And when you talk about the work done with the psychologist who sort of helped you to lead people better, can you think back to what that sort of original advice was that you got or whether there was that light bulb moment where you sit down with them and, and they take you down a path you'd never even considered? Because I think one of the frustrations for me is that as a nation... We just don't talk enough. You know, people aren't open to going and seeing psychologists and trying to look for self-improvement because it's a bit scary.
1: No, of course. I think um, Adam used to chase us down in camps. He's like, have you got an hour now? And I'm like, no. And he's like, well... Were you, you cynical have... then at yeah, the beginning? I mean, I was a little bit standoffish and that's the type of person I am away from the pitches. I like to think that people think that I'm quite strong and whatever, but there's obviously some little bits where I know that by talking about it and after talking about it I'm thinking oh, I feel so much better now that somebody actually knows and I think when you're in them types of leadership roles it's, it's quite hard to maybe open up and show a little bit of weakness because you've been given a role that probably means a lot to you and you want to do it to your best but I think ultimately I think he he broke us down um, quite slowly but at the same time it got to the point where the meetings weren't an hour and a half long two hours they got to a point where like 20 minutes and they're like right okay what's your focus today we've got a quarter final tomorrow what what you're going to do what you're going to do to affect the game and what you're going to do for the team and what's your messages throughout the the next few days.
2: So can I ask in terms of the culture that you because you been through a fascinating transition from Hope Powell when you first came in through to Mark Sampson and now Phil Neville, what would you say has been the big cultural differences um, on that journey that you've identified?
1: I think, um, especially going from Hope to Mark, and um, when Mark first came in, I think. He was all about the team and what the squad do. It wasn't just about the 11 on the pitch, it was about the 23 and making everybody feel valued and having a real family feel. And that's similar to what Phil is now, I think. I think because the competition got so much greater over that period in comparison to Hope, it was always about how we can utilise 23 players rather than back in Hope's squad. It was You could pretty much name the team every single week because... Maybe the competition wasn't as far spread as it is now. So I think you have to ultimately make sure you get everybody on board and everybody does have a part of play and everybody has their moment at some point in a, in a tournament and that's been evident over the last couple of World Cups and Euros as well.
0: Selling a little or a lot? So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com people today. So for people who are listening to this who are not involved in sport, but they are involved in organizations, they either run one or they work for one or they just want to sort things out at home better. From all of the different clubs you've played for, and the different managers you've been under and all your environments, what do you think is a sort of winning culture. What does a winning, successful culture look like for you?
1: I think everybody knowing that they pay, play a part. I think, that's, I think everybody knowing what their role is in that specific, whether it's a team, an organisation, whether it's at home, I think it is important that you really believe that you have a part to play. And ultimately, sometimes it might not go as well as what you think, but at some point... When your need is, you need to be ready to play that part. And I think that there's a massive honesty thing. I think you need to be really honest with each other and you need to have them honest conversations. If maybe someone's not really pulling their weight, you've got to be able to, right, okay, act on it quickly rather than let it kind of boil over. And I think that's probably more apparent in women's sport than it is in men's. I think men probably cut the chair straight away and just go right okay yeah. well you don't need to be like that whereas maybe women could be potentially a little bit better at sorting out their problems there and then so it doesn't fester on further on
0: and what about fault versus responsibility we talk about that quite a lot on this podcast because the number of times that people don't either achieve what they want or they don't have what they want in their life and they manage to find a fault, a reason for it, right? Quite often, things happen to people that it's not their fault. You will know exactly how this feels. There are things in your life, it's not your fault, right, that certain things have happened, but it's actually still your responsibility to process it, deal with it, and move forward through it, isn't it? And all too often, I think, people focus too much on the, the fault, not enough on the responsibility.
1: Yeah, massively. I think going through all the teams that I've played for, I think you obviously see instances of that, but I think growing up and learning a lot and you see what happens I think it is about trying to get them processes right and making sure that you actually go right okay well I maybe can't change that right now but actually I can change something else and trying to figure out what that is you can change and I think like what we said before having them conversations whether it's with your closest people it might not be with people that you work with I think it's just making sure that you actually go right okay well at some point having that self-awareness that you can't continuously blame everybody else. At some point, you have to be involved in that process.
2: So who does that for you then? So who calls you out if, if you ever find yourself pointing the finger or absolving yourself of responsibility?
1: Um, my husband, for one. Um, no, I mean, I think the biggest person, the, probably the biggest influence in my life is my dad. If I was to have a moan after a game, he'd be like, come on, Steph, like, that wasn't a good pass. What are you on about, like... Come on, you just need to be better at that bit. Like, you sort your stuff, you do your job, and let everything else take care of itself, whether it's the manager, Nick or Phil or whoever it might be. And I think players around you as well. I think, obviously, I, I lean on Ellen quite a lot. Um, she'd have that honest conversation if I've had a bit of maybe emotional moments, like, well, it did happen like this, therefore, And I'd like to think that I would be the same for her or my other teammates as well. Can and you I take think, criticism. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. So. To have that criticism, it probably makes us more determined to make sure that that doesn't ever happen again and I think you kind of want to have that perfect game and I'm realistic enough to know that that doesn't happen but at the same time I want to try and get as close to perfect as I can.
2: So what was the, if you think back to these moments then of people coming in and making a difference for you with, by being honest, what's been the single most important bit of feedback you've ever received from somebody?
1: I think whole Powell. I think, especially because I was younger and you're obviously in an environment where women's football was getting bigger and you wanted to be so much a part of it. And I think she was quite hard on us in terms of because I was young and she liked to keep my feet on the floor, which was good. I was never ever big headed, but I think she wanted to make sure that I was never ever going to be like that. And I think the way that she always spoke to us was I could never ever get anything right for her. And she was always kind of like, yeah, it was okay but you could have done this better and I think her advice was always like keep trying to be the best and all you can do is make sure that you get on that pitch and keep trying
0: I bet you hated that at the beginning though
1: yeah I mean I'm stubborn as well so I was like right okay I'm trying my best I've just been called up to an England squad I really want to be the best I want to be in the squad I want to be whether I was playing right back on midfield then you wanted to try and make an impact, and um, you don't like Hina, but at the time, I'm probably a bit of a person that reflects an hour later and go, right, okay, well, she was right. To be honest, I think in that moment, I probably got a bit emotional, and when you go back home, you're like, right, okay, logically, that was the right thing for me at the time, and um, and obviously worked a little bit, yeah.
2: So those two combinations then of being stubborn and a perfectionist. How have you learned to be kind to yourself? Because that's often a virtue that some of our listeners struggle with disabilities just to accept feedback or be kind to themselves and not be relentless or punishing themselves how do you deal with that?
1: Um, I'm not very good at compliments to be honest I know that's probably contradicting what I'm saying because I've, I'm getting t- I don't really like the criticism but at the same time if someone was to compliment it, I'd probably make a joke out of it and be like oh no that was that was average or whatever it might be and I think that's my way of just maybe resetting my mind to kind of keep going forward and keep looking ahead and keep trying to be the best and I think it probably is a bad thing that you, you can't really compliment yourself and look, I can't really at this moment in time look at what I've achieved and because really? I think I'm continuously just thinking right okay well we've got Olympics next year we've got trophies doing at Man City then I've got Euros 2021 and I think it's at this moment in time just like right okay what's the next thing we can kind of achieve which I know prob- people probably say, well, you've got 100 caps for England, you've won trophies for Man City, you're in your country, whatever, you've achieved so much Do you so. not take
0: time to savour it? Because I think that my biggest bit of advice I try and give to my kids is to savour it, man. Enjoy the day. and like, I think that we live in a world where we don't enjoy the process. We get so caught up in, oh, I need to get the car parked, I need to get to the shops, I need to get my Christmas presents bought, I need to get packed to go out on holiday, I need to make sure I've got the passports, I need to make sure I've cooked the dinner. And because we're all living in a process, we're actually not taking time to enjoy the process.
1: No, massively. I think there's only probably a few moments, especially last season, say FA Cup final. That was a moment where I was like, right, okay, just enjoy every single minute, Steph. No matter what the result is. Like, you've prepared well. Your family's all coming down from the northeast to come and see you play. Uh, we're doing something after the game whether we win or lose I was like right okay I kind of like relaxed a little bit more which is probably one of the first times I've ever really done that and I was like I actually enjoyed the whole experience a little bit more
2: and do you think that impacted on your performance as well?
1: Um, Yeah I think so because I kind of took a little bit of pressure off myself which normally I'm, I'm always like in the zone um, I have the same routine before games kind of I don't like to be distracted in terms of like what I do to get ready for a game and that was the first time I was like, right, okay, I'm gonna actually enjoy being in Wembley, like soak up the atmosphere a little bit more and enjoy it after as well. And obviously walking up to, to get the trophy was unbelievable and you remember all them little moments a little bit more.
0: We've got a few questions to finish with. Okay. What are the three non negotiable behaviours that you and the people around you, whether that's your managers, your family, your teammates, the three non negotiable behaviours that you and they have to buy into?
1: Timekeeping. I'm a stickler for people being late I think you've got to be on time I think it's a respect thing Um, Respect your peers And obviously um, the people that you work with And obviously the environment that you're in Um, And hard work No matter what you do Whether it's in sport or out of sport I think um, the way that you apply yourself I think that's whether it makes you successful or not
2: So my question is around your legacy How important is legacy to you?
1: Oh, massively, I think, because of the sport that i 'm in, I think um, when I was younger there wasn 't that much of a legacy, and there wasn 't that much to kind of aspire to be um, whereas now I know that i've i 've been a part of a legacy of women 's football over the last ten twelve years i think I think back to the Olympics in two thousand and twelve, I think that was probably a biggest watershed moment for women's football to get that many people watching on telly and at the stadium and for us to go and win was unbelievable and that really put women's football on the map and I look back to 2015 when we won bronze medal in Canada never ever expected we didn't expect to go and get anything but to come home with a medal and know that everybody's watching back home and knowing when you come back that you have been and living in a little bit of a bubble and people are actually knowing your name and wearing your shirt which was a special feeling so I think there's so much more we can achieve, but I'd like to know that we have been a part of something special over the last few years.
0: What advice would you give to a teenage Steph, or even younger, just starting out?
1: Um, To not focus on what other people think of you. I think sometimes you have this perception that you think this of me, but at the same time, I will never ever know what you really think of me, so why why waste your energy on people that potentially they might have got that mis- misjudgment of yourself and they don't really
0: know you anyway. And be totally honest with us, is that something that you're still working on even now?
1: Yeah, massively. I think that's I because of my profile um, and obviously the social media interest and obviously people now are interested in women's football and uh, people are trying to catch you out and they're trying to try and find something negative about you even though you've achieved so much in the game. I'm not stupid enough to know that that happens in football. You see it all the time with the men and because our profile's raising and the women's game's getting bigger, that's obviously going to be the next thing for us. So I think it's just obviously trying to sieve out all that kind of stuff as much as you can and not really get too wrapped up in it.
0: We'd all love to do that, wouldn't we?
1: (laughs) Just turn your phone off.
0: Yeah, Yeah, turn your phone off, yeah.
2: And the last one then, Steph. What's your one golden rule to live a high-performance life?
1: Structure and routine. I think for me... Your life is football, I mean I know certainly my life is revolved around my training, my nutrition, my rest, um, to be the best that I can be and to give myself the best chance of being the best footballer that I can be for both club and country and um, you make a lot of sacrifices along the way in terms of missing out on family things and friends and living away from home, I lived away from home for like eight, nine years now which um, at some points it gets a bit tough but at the same time you know that you're doing it to be the best that you can be and it takes a lot of hard work to be like that and to really put football first and to put yourself as an athlete first but ultimately you reap the rewards on the pitch. Do you
0: think anyone can live a high performance life if they really apply themselves to it?
1: Yeah, massively. I think it's not, I think that we spoke about at the beginning, it's not just rocket science, it's, it's quite simple, it's just being about being organised and putting your priorities and where there's training, training's number one. That has to be the first thing that you put in your diary in that day and your recovery stuff after. And yeah, of course, it's important to have a life away from football, but, and it's possible to do both. It is possible to have a high performance lifestyle, but also be able to do the other stuff that other people do as well.
0: Thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, thank you. My thought now is that You're someone that has absolutely put all the processes in place to allow you to extract the maximum from your career, aren't you?
1: Yeah, I'd like to think so, but it doesn't happen overnight. I know know for a fact it's not happened overnight. I think it's a lot of things where you do make mistakes and uh, you do make the wrong decisions. But at the same time, it's how you kind of come back from that and having the bravery to actually accept that as well and try and be the bigger person and go, right, okay, well, maybe I messed up on that a little bit, but I'm going to put this in place and I'll be even better. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much, Steph. Thank you, guys.
0: Damien. Jake. She is a lady that absolutely lives by process, doesn't she? It's all about getting the process right to get the results right.
2: Yeah, very much. What struck me about Steph was um, I was thinking of an old quote from, This might sound random, so bear with me. Like a German philosopher from the 19th century, a guy called Arthur Schopenhauer. And Schopenhauer often talks about, if you want to make change happen, three things will follow. The first thing is people laugh at you. Second thing is they oppose you. And then the third thing is they finally accept it as common practice. And what struck me about Steph's story was that she's actually brought about change. She's been a living embodiment of somebody that's changed the perception of women's football. And her story and the courage to go through that ridicule initially playing with the boys and then the opposition and people questioning why she could do it to now being one of the leading stars of of that very sport was fascinating to listen to.
0: But you can even become the more than 100-cap England captain. You can play for Manchester City. You can win every trophy there is to win. But you still have to work on yourself. And the fact that she clearly doesn't yet really enjoy and savour the process because she's too obsessed with the result of the process I think is really interesting and I wonder whether that's something that in the years to come she'll either reflect on or repair and make sure that actually she does savour it as she goes along
2: yeah I think that example that she gave about the FA Cup final recently of actually learning to relax and enjoy the experience is something that that seems to have resonated with her and a hope for her sake, that she can actually enjoy the spoils of what she's doing, because it is pretty special. But
0: there's no doubt, is there, when you sit and speak to her for a while, you realise that she is absolutely a high-performance individual, but she is a high-performance individual that has created that for herself with absolute sacrifice, dedication and determination.
2: Yeah, she's a phenomenal example for anyone, especially young girls that might be listening that would want to follow in her footsteps.
0: Well, Damien, it's been so interesting, hasn't it, the past week or so, seeing the reaction to Nims Perger. And I remember you, right, Damien, you made a comment right at the very beginning where we were interviewing high-profile names, and then we were interviewing high achievers whose profile wasn't as high. And I remember you saying to me, I really hope that when we speak to the big names that create a stir, I really hope it means people then trust us to come to the podcast for names that they might not have heard of, but they trust that we're still going to deliver. And I think that is the case with NIMS.
2: Yeah, I hope that is the case, Jake. I think trust is a small word, but the implications of it are huge. And I think that if people trust that we're going to share insights from people that you might not be familiar with, but who can change your own life. And I think NIMS is somebody that is humble, you know, is hardworking and is incredible in terms of what is achieved. And I think... We don't all have to climb mountains, like we said last week, but we can climb our own mountain. And the lessons that he was teaching us are essential to do that. And Damon
0: got in touch on Instagram and he said, seriously, guys, out of all of the podcasts, that is the best one yet. I've listened to it three times already, and I'm battling lots of anxiety at the moment. So this has mega helped. And I think that's a really important point you make there, is that we're not giving people advice on how to climb K2 and, and Everest. But there is absolutely no doubt that like when Nims spoke about someone taking his oxygen on the mountain and he decided to change his frame of reference to imagine that oxygen had been given to someone who otherwise would have died, therefore he chose not to be affected by the incident, but he chose to control the way he reacted to it. Those kinds of messages are not about mountain climbing. They're
2: about life. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, like even when we started with his origin story of growing up in relatively poor conditions, you know, not having a lot of money and not having uh, been surrounded by luxuries that we take for granted in our world. I think that's a great message for us all to give us a sense of perspective as well. However tough times can be, you know, there's people doing it harder and, and still finding a way to become high performers in their own in their own world
0: lofty smalls has said thank you guys after a rough few weeks health-wise i knew my resilience and fortitude were low plenty of self-doubt self-critique and consciously i know this is self-sabotage a long commute though allowed me to listen to Rhea ferdinand and kelly jones's episodes two icons i hold in high esteem to hear how they overcome adversity it had a profound effect on me um And then he says something praising you and I, but we don't want to read that bit out because that that doesn't sound right. But he also (laughs) says, I've recommended this podcast to a close group of friends. This has to be heard. You've restored my belief in two hours. I can't wait to continue the journey. A message like that, right, for me, is everything. And the most important thing when he says, I've shared this podcast with other people. In other words, people are talking. And like we've said so many times, Damien... If you've got an issue, if you've got a struggle, if you've got a problem, talk. And sometimes talking is just saying, listen to this podcast I listen to. It can make all the difference.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think it sort of really quite moves me. I remember when we were thinking about the podcast at the start, and I remember you saying, Jake, that if somebody picks up on a message on the radio, it's almost by accident, whereas when somebody comes to a podcast, they make a very deliberate choice to do so. They're choosing to download it, they're choosing to engage with it, and therefore they're choosing to come at this with an open mind and be prepared to listen. And I just think that that's a really powerful starting point for anybody if you've come with an open mind and at least prepared to listen to somebody else's journey. It can be incredibly helpful for you. And then if you can recommend it to others, word of mouth is always far more powerful than any other form of advertising. So if you can pass it on to somebody that might need some help, that gives us an awful lot of satisfaction.
0: And you know... um... You know, in my in the back of my head all the time when we're having the conversations with people, Damien, I'm sort of doing this in many ways for my kids, I, because I think that that I can't sort of go too far wrong. Then, do you know what I mean? I think that my intentions will always be pure. If I'm trying to have a conversation that, let's say, fingers crossed, it's not the case, but let's say in ten years' time I'm not around and you know Florence has just become a, 17 years old and life's a bit tricky, I'd love her to be able to think, do you know, what I'm going to put that podcast on. Not only will I get an understanding of. What my dad stood for and what he believed, but actual lessons for life that I know they can use, and I want my kids' kids to be listening to this podcast to give them the armour for life in in 60 years.
2: Yeah, wow, well, that's really powerful. I think that's really, I think that's really powerful intent when we think about and about what we're handing on to the next generation. You know, the question we ask all our guests is how important is legacy for you, and I think you've just articulated just why it's really important for you. And, I, you know, I think that's why we've tried to avoid stuff like the pandemic and making it too topical, because my aim is that some of this stuff is timeless. You're
0: totally right, Damien, it it is timeless. and, um, And if it has an impact in 2020, it will have an impact hopefully in 2060 as well. I just want to read a review. It's quite long, but just bear with me a second, Damien. This is from Roscoe6, and he got in touch, and they got in touch to say, wow inspiring and it helps the soul being honest about my situation is that I've been seeking advice on how to develop myself and get out of bad habits in business and personal situations you get stuck in a rut and you look for help start paying for help and listen to people who are giving advice but are not able to showcase the results this podcast does that and more it gives you confidence that the elite are no different to you but they showcase passion willingness to change and development honesty openness and above all how they put all of this together to get results the podcast has brought me to tears as sometimes the struggles resonate so clearly the tears come when you feel relief that whatever door is covering your next steps it suddenly opens and your mind starts to think ah that's what I needed to hear why don't you invest one hour of your week into this and listen to actual hard questions being asked and the answers you've wanted and needed to hear for so long? A simple thank you for making this happen. A brilliant podcast that actually helps, and I'm looking forward to listening to the rest.
2: Bloody hell. Oh, <laughs> wow. I know. That was my reaction as well. <laughs> wow, that's really humbling. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I think that's that's another benefit of listening to some of these people that we're, we're fortunate enough to speak to is that, If it helps you just get stuck, you know, everybody finds themselves at times where they might be stuck or feeling a little bit confused as to where we go next. And sometimes just listening to somebody else gives you that perspective to see the bigger picture and realise that we always have a choice. We always have the control over how we respond as opposed to just reacting.
0: I loved it when Matthew McConaughey said, there is no yet. You know, we never arrive. The journey is unrelenting. It's constant. You never get to a finish line. And I think a lot of people come to this podcast thinking, I can't wait to find out the finish line that these people got to and what it feels like when you get there. And then you realise there's no finish line, there's no moment of elation, it's just the next challenge.
2: Yeah, definitely. There's a poem that I really like called The Station. And if anyone's listening to this, have a look at it. And uh, it always talks about, you know, the station never comes, the journey is just constantly, you know, we're going to pass through triumph, disaster, despair, tough times, happy times. But the station never comes, and it's the people that realise that, that enjoy the journey, not waiting to arrive at the station, is the key. I love it sadly though the station
0: has arrived damien and it's time for us to <laughs> disembark from the uh, podcast onto the platform for for another week listen mate thank you so much for your company you know that no, i love it you know you make a huge difference to this podcast with your knowledge and your ability to just say the right things at the right time so thanks
2: mate oh no well thank you i love it jake and i love working with you and uh, the feedback like we've had today is uh, is really humbling but really really gratefully received as well so thank you no
0: worries um, a huge thanks as always to Hannah and Will for their hard work behind the scenes on this podcast all week long to Tom Griffin from Rethink Audio who is responsible for uh, recording and helping to create this episode along with Finn Ryan but the biggest thanks of all goes to you not just for listening to the pod but for rating it and reviewing it please 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 a million times over if you can do that now it makes a huge difference but don't forget you can also follow us on YouTube it's a place that is so different to the podcast even though it's the same interview to just see them not just hear them i think makes a huge difference as well and you can just type high performance podcast into youtube subscribe hit the notification bell and join the many thousands of people who have listened to millions of hours right there uh, Damien, thank you uh, thank you at home and have a brilliant week we'll see you for another high performance podcast very soon take care